to what I recommend you stay. You'll probably learn a little bit more here. Hopefully, I'm not promising anything. Um, I'm going to do. somewhere else, but at the same time, I've missed you guys like crazy, so it's nice to be able to have the opportunity to go and speak at other churches, which um, seems to be happening more than more frequently than less these days, which is an okay thing, but it's nice to be with you guys, because you guys are my family, my immediate church family here, um, but it's also too, too kind of fun to be able to be with other believers in other places. Last week, I was in a, in a city called New Hamburg, which is, if you were to go to Stratford, um, you'd hit New Hamburg before you get to Stratford, and it was like this small, rural uh, church body, about like 50 people, mostly older, so um, I was like a sore thumb, <laughs> was like, I'm, like usually like a sore thumb, this woman came up to me at the beginning, and was like, how old are you? Uh, Felt judged, but uh, uh, <laughs> but, like, but after the service, she came up and was like, "Oh, you've you've been able to do so much in, in your short years. This is great." So it was awesome. There was like some redemption, like as time went on, which was good. So I didn't feel judged when I left. So that was that was exciting. And then the week before, I was at a church in Flamborough. Um, which, it was hilarious, because Andre and I typed the church uh, address into my uh, phone, and we went, and the place that it led us, it was like an open, like, empty field. <laughs> I was like, oh no, we're not, we're, we came to the wrong place, and then Andre found another address to put it in her phone, and then we went to this other place, and it was an empty field again. We're like, oh no, what are we doing? And this is like, what time is your service there, Lori? Uh, 10. 10. So this is like, 10 minutes to 10, we're like, way on the other side of like the town, so we literally pull in at like 10 o'clock. We go backstage. Uh, Lauren's dad is there, Bill, and uh, so, anyways, it, it's good to be back here. That's all I'm going to say. But uh, it's been it's been a joy because all these churches that I get to go and share at and speak at are churches that are funding us financially. So they're giving us um, like uh, Flamborough. They give us two thousand dollars a year, and they're looking at what more they can do. And some of these other places they want to support us too. So it's important that I get to do that stuff. And I'm thankful that we have people like Jeff last week that could share what was on his heart. But if you have your Bibles, please get them out. Uh, if you don't, you can find the Bible app on your smartphone. Um, you can do that as well. We're in Mark. So over the last like four or five weeks, it's taken us a bit of time just to get from verses 1 to 20. And today we're covering verses 21 to 45, so the end of the chapter. And so that's, that's a big portion of scripture that we're going to cover today. But it's a new block of scripture, and this is why. What we're going to learn from 21 to 45 is this is one 24-hour day in the life of Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is one 24 hours. So as you're like hearing me speak on this passage today, um, you're going to be like, whoa, that was a that was a loaded day. And what we're going to get to see is how did Jesus live in a 24 hour time period? Um, and then how can we in our lives fashion ourselves after Jesus Christ as we're constantly trying to be made more in the image of Jesus? Now, to give you guys some heads up, some understanding, this is maybe some nerdy stuff, but this is the sort of stuff that I enjoy. Um, it will hopefully have some context driven with you. Mark is separated into two 
portions or two sections. All right. The first section, as you can see here, Mark chapters one to eight is the king is here and his name is Jesus. So Mark, who is writing, is setting up a biography of Jesus Christ. And chapters one to eight is the king is here and his name is Jesus. And we'll hit Mark eight, 27 to 30, probably four or five months from now. And we will see that this piece of scripture really acts as the hinge. And then the final chapters of Mark, chapters 9 to 16, but he's not the kind of king that you're expecting. So as we're reading chapters 1 to 8, what you'll see is that what Mark's trying to do is set up for us Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised one that you've been hearing about for thousands of years, is here. He's the one you were looking forward to. And so then, later, it's going to say, but he's not the one that you were expecting, or not the one you were thinking was actually going to be the one that it was going to be. So uh, Mark 1, 21, we're going to start here. And before I do that, I just want to pray, because some of this stuff is really, really thick. It's difficult to talk about. It's stuff that we don't typically talk about. Um, at all because we like to avoid it and I think that's one of the um, places that what we're going to talk we're going to talk a little bit about the demonic today so Satan and his demons uh, that are fighting um, with our lives wanting us to give in to its pressures anything living in rebellion against God so we're going to talk about that today how that interacts with our lives and as followers of Jesus how do we engage the demonic Um, how do we fight against the demonic can we even and then we'll talk about some of the application of that so Heavy stuff, but good stuff. All right? So let's pray. God, we thank you that we can be here today. We thank you, Lord, for this space free. Um, Beautiful four-letter word. God, we thank you so much that uh, we can talk about you openly. God, with the door of this place open. God, we don't have to fear anyone coming in today with uh, weapons. God, to to kill us, God, that's that's what some people Lord, who love you in our world have to face every single day. So God, we thank you that we don't have to endure that. God, I pray that you give us strength today. God, I pray that uh, we would be wise, Lord, may we learn and hear from your word what it is that you want to say. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So Mark 1, 21. We're going to start there. And as I said, we're going to work all the way down uh, to verse 45 in pieces. And then I'll make some application. Verse 21, and they went. So remember what has happened before. Jeff talked about it last week that Jesus calls his first disciples. All right, they get up, they leave their nets, and they follow him. And I think what I heard, one of Jeff's points was you have no choice. You have to go and be a fisher of men, if if I'm correct in that. So this is Jesus, and what Mark's trying to do is set up further authority of Jesus. Jesus had authority over calling people to follow him, and now he has authority in a new way. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught with them as one who had authority and not as the scribe. So if you underline, circle, highlight in your Bibles, uh, I want you to highlight or underline a few words here. Capernaum, Sabbath, synagogue, teaching, and authority. All right, these are some key things. Now... Capernaum was a small fishing village, which was at the north part of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so as you look on the map here, you can kind of see Sea of Galilee is this big body of water here. Capernaum is is at the top left. It's a small fishing village. There was about 1,500 people that lived in Capernaum at the time. All right, we read in the Bible that Jesus is from Nazareth. So you look at the word Galilee. Nazareth is found right between A and the L. And what we know so far in the life of Jesus is that Jesus was born, was raised in Nazareth, and then he made his way over the Sea of Galilee, which is where he called his first disciples. 
So now what Jesus and, and his first disciples are doing is that they've made their way up to Capernaum, all right? So this small fishing village, 1,500 people. It was on one of the major, at the time, fishing pathways. And so Jesus is coming to the city, and he's then in. second word I want us to talk about is the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was the seventh day um, for the Jewish people. They literally were not allowed to do anything. Uh, some of us are reading through the scriptures in Leviticus and Numbers, and what we're learning is that the Jews were told, you don't do anything on the Sabbath. Literally, all they could really do was go to the synagogue, which is in the next word I wanted us to focus on. And the synagogue was the center of all Jewish life. Uh, this is an archaeological, archaeological dig, actually, of this synagogue in Capernaum. Um, apparently, it was one of the, the largest uh, ones at the time. You could fit uh, a good portion of the city within this synagogue. Um, from what we read. And so this is the actual synagogue where Jesus, in this what we're reading right now, would have actually been teaching. Now at that time, rabbis, and Jesus was a rabbi, they would take turns teaching in each synagogue. And so Jesus is now kind of a little bit of coming into this teaching circuit and is now it's teaching in this synagogue. Okay, so it's the center of Jewish life. It's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do anything. And here is Jesus pulled into the circuit of, um, of teaching as a rabbi, and we read that they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now this word authority is the Greek word uh, exousia, and what exousia means is the ability to perform an action with no hindrance, the right to do or say something, or the power to act or possess. A manner, it's a manner over matter. Now, typically what happened is that the rabbis, and this is when I studied this and, and researched this, this just like lit this up like crazy for me. But what would happen is the scribes would teach in their teaching circuit, but they didn't teach as people who had authority because they would get up and basically quote another rabbi. So they would get up and they'd say, Rabbi so-and-so said this. And people would be like, oh, cool, that's what that guy said. And then they'd say, Moses said this. Or this teacher said this. Or this prophet said this. But Jesus gets up. And rather than quoting other rabbis, he gets up and just starts teaching them as one who has authority. So he's not saying, oh, the rabbi who was here last week, he told you this. He's just straight up teaching the word of God. What God the Father has revealed to him, he's just teaching. And so to the people of that day, they literally are astonished. This is the Greek word, ekpleso, which means amazed to the point of being overwhelmed. To the point of being overwhelmed. So imagine like sitting, hearing a teaching and being like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. I've never heard anything like this before. And so what we read is that these people are astonished that Jesus is teaching as one who has authority, not like everybody else. So already Jesus is, is being set up in the book of Mark as somebody, as a prophet, as a rabbi, that's not like anybody else. It continues. And immediately, you'll notice as you read Mark, I know some of you have been noting, noticing this, is that Mark uses the word immediately a lot. In the section of scripture we're reading today, he mentions it like three or four times. And the, the word immediately is a Greek word, euthus. If everyone wants to say euthus, euthus. And what it means is just then. And immediately, so Jesus is teaching, people are astonished, and immediately there was there in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. In other words, this word could mean ek 
pleso, or no, akathartos, which is the defiled, impure, evil, supernatural spirit that is ritually unclean. Basically, this is a person with a demonic possession who's in this synagogue with everybody else. Now, the priest's job was to separate the clean from the unclean, so they should have been the ones to say, don't come in here. But as this man, as this demonically possessed person is hearing the teaching and authority of Jesus, they respond to what Jesus is saying. Now, in those days, uh, demonic possession was an epidemic. Many people, and what I will argue as we get further along, is that it's an epidemic in our culture as well. And what the local Jews had developed was ways to try to extract demons from people. So they would have one method, which was kind of like a ritual chanting over people, like, you know, trying to get the demon out of people. Another method that they had, and this is, you can find, you can search in archaeological digs, was they would drill into a person's skull, and they would literally extract pieces of bone, and when that piece of bone was extracted, that they would then wear it on a necklace to try to keep the demons away from them. So in archaeological digs, they will literally pull up bodies and skulls that have pieces of the skull literally removed. Alright? So, in this situation and setting, okay, remember, we're in the synagogue, Jesus is teaching, as one who has authority, this unclean, demonically possessed person screams out at Jesus, what's Jesus going to do? And the person screams out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So this is what the, de- the demon cries out. Now isn't it interesting, if you study the Gospels and you read through them, the only people, or the only sources, or the only um, people that are in interaction with Jesus that know exactly who he is right off the bat are the demons. The scriptures say that even the demons cry out, Jesus, Jesus, okay? So just because somebody knows who Jesus is does not mean they follow him, nor submit, nor surrender their life to him. And so what Jesus does, this person comes at him. Now in those days, this demon is actually trying to get a bit of like an upper hand. Notice how he calls out, the Holy One of God of Israel, which in those days is supposed to be a tactic. If I call out who you are, you're like, oh shoot, he knows who I am. But notice what Jesus says. This is, this is crazy. But Jesus rebuked him and says, Be silent and come out of him. The Greek, when you do the study, literally Jesus is saying, Shut up. <laughs> Alright? So people were probably expecting that this man with authority, this teacher, was going to start doing the or get the drill. But Jesus is like, Shut up. Get out of him. Get out. It's the Greek word, Femu. Hmm. Put to silence, cease, or to make sound. And what happens? And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Immediately comes out of him. And guess what happens? And they were all amazed, which is thembio, to be astounded, overwhelmed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with exousia, authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. This rabbi is like no one else we've ever seen before. Who is this? And at once his fame spread everywhere to all the surrounding region of Galilee. 
as I said, Galilee was on this fishing circuit, and so the fame of Jesus would have spread very quickly. A good majority of the population would have been in that synagogue in that day, witnessing this. And so suddenly the city finds out, there's this rabbi, and he's nuts. It's awesome. Let's continue on. And immediately, of course, he's going to use immediately again, Euthus. He left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. They probably would have been going about mid-afternoon. And in those days, uh, the houses that these guys lived in, Jesus wasn't just going to this one single dwelling. Families actually lived together. Uh, in one dwelling, there would be about 30 to 40 people, actually, that would live in one house together. It was kind of like a commune. So you'd have your courtyard in the middle, and then you'd have like your different rooms kind of in the upper places. So Jesus uh, goes with... Um, goes with to the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now we're told that in those days a fever was an illness in and of itself and not a symptom of a disease. And in those days it was understood as a punishment sent by God who disobeyed for people who disobeyed the covenant. And no one can extinguish a fever but God. So what Simon and Andrew are kind of thinking here is, okay, he can command the unclean spirits. I bet you he can take care of our mom's fever. So they bring him to the house, and they say, Jesus, you've got to come and see Mama. And we read, the actual rendering is that the fever forsook her, which some would suggest was another demonic presence of some sort. So this fever was yet another, this demonic presence that Jesus commands, simply takes her by the hand and lifts her up, and the fever leaves her. And look what her response is. And she began to serve them. She began to serve them, which is like crazy cool. <laughs> One, she's like, oh, thanks for, the, thanks for healing me. I'm going to go take care of you guys now. Which is ultimately a lesson is that when we have been touched so powerfully by Jesus Christ, we cannot help but serve him. When we understand what he's done for us, when we realize the power with which he has over our sicknesses, our illnesses, and the demonic, we cannot help but give him and serve him. So this is what's happening. And then we continue on. It says, that evening, verse 32, at sundown, they brought to him all who are sick or oppressed by demons. Now, the key thing to note about this is sundown means that the Sabbath is over. Okay? So word has spread. The people realize they can't actually go see Jesus in that house until the sun goes down. Sun goes down, they run. So that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Notice, it's an epidemic. There's more people like this first guy. And the whole city, all 1,500 people show up at this house. All this, remember, this is 24 hours in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. He's first teaching in the synagogue, goes to a house, heals a woman with fever, is now, he could have been like, no, guys, I'd rather take the night to sleep at this off. No. They come together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Notice how the two sections are set up. The king is here. And his name is Jesus, but he's not the kind of king you're expecting. So what Jesus is trying to show them is, I'm here. But if you tell people, if they know who I am, then I'm not going to be able to show you what, what you shouldn't be expecting to clarify things. Now, I want to make a couple of comments about the demonic. 
because as I said before, I believe that there is demonic oppression in our day and in our society. I believe that the demons still do and can possess people. But I want to clarify some things on this. I believe, as I said, that one of the reasons we don't talk about this is because Satan has taken over in some people's minds, not letting them talk about it. Because as soon as we talk about it, the darkness is in the light. And then we can start speaking truth and seeking Jesus in these things. Now, when we, what we can note is that in this story, notice the person's name is not mentioned. It's simply a person with an unclean spirit. So this person is a victim of the unclean spirit. This person is a victim of this demonic presence. Okay, It has nothing to do with the person themselves. The demon has simply taken over so that a demon can dwell within persons. And not all physical sickness is demonic. All right, not all physical sickness is demonic. But here's some points about the demonic, which the demonic's goal ultimately is to be in rebellion against God. We read that before the creation of the world, God eternally existed for all of time, and there were angels that were worshiping him, but then in, in rebellion against God, Satan and his angels rebelled against God, and God cast them down to the earth. All right, and then after that, God comes and creates. Okay, so we have to understand that there is a spiritual warfare going on around us that can be called the demonic. I heard it once illustrated very well before that if you were to stand at a lake or an ocean and look out, everything above you can see, but there is a world of activity going on beneath the surface of that water. And that is like the demonic that's going on in our culture. But just some keys to note ordinary demonic work in our culture can be things like sexual sin, false religion, false teaching, uh, drunkenness, passivity, lying, and adultery. So this is like the ordinary demonic worth. Any, anything that is in rebellion against God and his holiness is Satan working in our culture. So notice some of us would like to maybe assume that the demonic is something larger than some of these things, but this is ordinary demonic work, which shows us in our every single day lives, every single day of our lives, we have to be focusing and praying for God's protection over us as we wage war against Satan and his demons, who would like us to what? Rebel against God, trust in him and in ourselves, and ultimately not trusting God. Extraordinary demonic work can be things like torment, Physical impairment, injury, uh, counterfeit miracles, busybodying, lying, and false spirits. Um, in my time as a person so far, I have been, um, God has allowed me to be in the presence of people who have been demonically possessed. Uh, one particular story and instance where I was part of this was when I was at school at Tyndale in Toronto. Uh, early in the morning, I was awoken by someone who lived in uh, my hallway, and he had come to me asking me to come downstairs and to assist him and another uh, person in the hall to deal with this sort of thing, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I remember I was getting up to leave my room, and my, my roommate said, Matt, you have to go in there with prayer, because as we'll find out later in Mark 9, the disciples are trying to cast out demons, and Jesus says, he said, and they can't do it. And Jesus says, only this type can be dealt with with prayer. So he says, go into it with prayer. And I went downstairs, and this girl was literally trying to hurt herself. So much so that he had to, the guy that was holding her had to hold her shoulders and keep her on the ground. And she was swearing. She was cursing the name of God, the name of Jesus Christ. And so what we ended up happening was, this was, this continued, this had been going on for about three or four hours that night. 
Um, I left the room, and myself and somebody else were praying in a room next door. At one point, a professor came in, and he went in, and he was praying over this girl, and eventually um, the demonic subsided. They ceased, all right? So these are things within our culture. We don't see a lot of the extraordinary. If you go to the third world, you'll see a lot more of the extraordinary demonic work. In our culture, you're going to see a lot of the ordinary demonic work, which is anything that's trying to convince us of rebellion against God. If you follow the Genesis fall story narrative, uh, Satan, what he does is tries to make us not understand the word of God, tries to make us and cause us to be um, to misinterpret God's word and then to make ourselves gods and idols. And this is Satan at the work in our culture. Now, a big question that people often have is, well, can I be demon-possessed? And can a Christian uh, be demon-possessed? Now, there's three kind of categories that this can be broken down into. One is own, dominate, and influence. All right? So with the demonic, and a Christian, remember, is someone that submitted their lives to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has come into them. And so what we would therefore see in the Colossians 1 through 13 says that the darkness have, has been cast out. And so what I believe, and I believe the scriptures say, is, is that a Christian cannot be owned as we have been delivered from the domain of darkness. So a Christian cannot be owned or demonically possessed from that sense, basically belonging to Satan. Dominate, there's different camps on this, but the person is controlled by Satan. Um, varying views with the devil can never take full authority over a Christian. So while someone might be, in a sense, kind of dominated, it's the kind of controlled, I would lean more to that Christians can be influenced, which is person influenced by Satan, and this can happen to, to Christians. Jesus was attacked, and so can we. When Jesus was in the desert, Satan tried to come and tempt him. So I believe as Christians, we cannot be owned. Uh, there can be some domination, but mostly it's due to influence. So somebody who does not, has not submitted nor sought the Holy Spirit. Uh, to indwell them, can, in, in this sense, that person cannot, um, but if they don't, then the Satan and his demons can take over. Is there any questions on this? You can maybe, like, be thinking about this, but this is... Yes, there. Passivity. Passivity? Yeah. Um, passivity is, uh, well, some would argue, is the first sin of Adam. Um, he was created by God to lead, and rather than taking... Um, Leadership in his role in the beginning, Eve uh, takes the apple and Adam does not step up. So passivity would be seeing something that needs to be done and not doing it. So um, there's a role to be practiced, there's something to do, and somebody's not doing it. That would be passivity. Uh, any other questions on the demonic before we move forward? Jesus, in this sense, is, is kind of the first exorcist, right? Which is kind of crazy to focus on. Um, <laughs> Notes about Jesus, number one, uh, from what we're reading here so far, is that Jesus did ministry in the synagogue and home. Uh, there's a certain rule of thought out there that the work of Jesus can only be done in sacred religious spaces, in uh, parishes, in temples, and things like this. And what Jesus exemplifies to us is that ministry and mission can happen in the home, and it can also happen in more religious sphere places. Uh, notice how Jesus allows these 1,500 people to come. And so he uses this home as ministry and mission, which for you and I, who we understand we're part of missional communities, we also use our homes as a place of ministry and mission. We want to welcome people into our home. Notice how Jesus, he doesn't turn people away. No, sorry guys, I already uh, cast out one demon today. We'd rather not do yours too. 
right? No, welcome, come on over, it's evening, all right? So Jesus, if we're going to follow the example of Jesus, we have to understand that we can do ministry both in our homes and in religious spaces. Now, some people might find this is a weird place to gather the church, right? In a bar, well, it just shows you it doesn't matter the space, right? God is with us, the Spirit is within us, and we can interact and do mission and ministry. Let's continue uh, reading. Verse 35 of Mark 1. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, so that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Notice the connection now. He's going to the synagogues. Now, what's really, really interesting is that uh, the second point I want to make here is that Jesus carved out time to be alone with his father. If this had been me, I would have cast, been in the synagogue teaching, cast out the demon, gone to the home, raised the women with fever... Then that night, continued to do ministry, casting out of demons. The next morning, I probably wouldn't have been rising early. Right? It says that Jesus withdrew. Alright? And he went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Uh, The busier we are, the more time we should be spending alone with God. This is how Jesus sets it up. There should be time of Sabbath. That as we are engaged in the ministry and the mission of what God's called us to, we have to spend times alone to be rejuvenated, to be refreshed. We have to have times where we literally turn off our phones and we don't touch them. For me, that day is Monday. Monday is my Sabbath day. And to take a Sabbath literally means you do nothing that is considered work. Alright, so if you um, have do, or you obviously some of us have jobs. Um, and if that is a job, you don't want to on your Sabbath day do anything that's going to be considered a job. So some people say, oh, Sabbath, you should be sitting at home all day long doing nothing. Uh, my parents come from a tradition of my dad wasn't allowed even watching football on Sunday afternoons. So my dad, when he met my mom, would go to my mom's house and her place and watch football on Sunday <laughs> afternoons. I'm not under that assumption. The under the assumption that I'm under is that we don't do anything that is considered work to us. Anything that is like, oh, I have to go do that. So on my Sabbath day, I will, now I'll be honest, sometimes that doesn't happen because I end up going grocery shopping on Mondays, and I hate that. Um, But there are times on a Sunday where maybe Andre and I will go to the movies together because that doesn't feel like work. Or if you're a golfer, maybe you'll go golfing on a Monday because that doesn't feel like work to you. It's simply enjoying the beauty of what God has created and not feeling a need to do anything. To take your day solely alone with God. In the Old Testament, uh, when God is giving the rule of Sabbath, of taking that seventh day, he said, if you do not take this, people will die. Now, my modern translation is, we have been a people that don't take Sabbath very well, and our relationships are falling apart. Um, Marriages, uh, singleness, like all of these things are happening, I believe, as a result of people not resting well. Of not taking a day. The very, it's very, very interesting, but oftentimes when you talk to somebody, you say, how are things going? Really busy. <laughs> then you go talk to somebody else. How are you doing? Really, really busy. How are you doing? Really, really busy. Like, we, we don't need to tell people anymore. Busy is just the way we live. It's like the new normal, right? But if we're going to play hard, we've got to learn to rest hard, too. And we can't say, no, that's for some people. Jesus Christ did it. Right? Jesus, the Son of God. If he needed to do it, certainly we need to do it. All right? So Jesus is resting. I love what the disciples do. Everyone is looking for you, man. 
And he said to them, Let us go on to the next town, so that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Jesus' purpose was to go and preach. There was also a sect um, of certain things that would like to say that preaching and teaching is not valuable. Let's just be scattered. And what Jesus is ultimately saying here is that there is a component where teaching is valuable, where we come together, where we gather. Probably this morning you're already saying, I never knew that before. That's helpful, right? This is why we gather. This is why we come together to hear the word of God preached so that we can be understanding what it is he wants us to do. And then we read that he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now remember, the day is not over yet. The day is not over yet. The 24 hours have not come to pass. And a leper came to him. Verse 40, and a leper came to imploring him and kneeling and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now leprosy, um, I have a picture of somebody. Oh shoot, I didn't add it in here. Um, Leprosy is a skin and flesh eating disease. The definition of this is a contagious disease that affects the skin, um, mucous membranes and nerves causing discoloration and lumps on the skin. And in severe cases, disfigurement and deformities and after a decade, this can eventually lead to death. Uh, when you get home today, um, maybe on Google Images, look up somebody with leprosy. But in those days, if you had leprosy, one, you were not allowed to live in everybody else with everybody else. You had to live in your separate leper um, with other lepers outside of the city. So there was one, a, a contagious fear, like I'm going to get leprosy from you, stay away from me, disgusting person. And then two, there was also the side of... Um, they were ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. And so if you touch somebody with leprosy, you were going to be unclean as well. Once again, we're reading in Leviticus, we're reading a lot about the clean versus the unclean. Someone with leprosy was considered unclean. All right, And so this person um, understands that if they're to go into society, that they are going to be looked down upon, that they are going to be ultimately probably embarrassed. But this person says, I don't care. This leper says, I'm going to Jesus because he can make me clean. And this is what, how Jesus responds. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately, Euthus, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now, rabbis in those days would not touch somebody with leprosy. Because to touch someone with leprosy meant that you would be also unclean. But Jesus moved with pity, touches him. This is the heart, this is the nature of our God, that when he sees us in our deformities, in our sickness, in our pain, in our embarrassment, he sees us, has pity, and is moved to touch our lives. And then Jesus, notice what he does, immediately the leprosy left him, so this is his deformities are gone, he's completely clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, see that you say nothing to anybody. Don't tell anybody about what I just did. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. If you read back in Leviticus, a person who was cleansed of leprosy would have to go to the priest. They would have to go through ceremonial cleansing. And then they were allowed to engage back into society. But notice what this guy does. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. He does exactly what Jesus tells him not to do. And to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. All right? Jesus, 24 hours, okay? This, this guy, his fame is spreading quickly, okay? We're already at the end of chapter 1, and he has to go to desolate places because people want to come to him. If he goes to a town, he's like, 
people come right around him. We'll read later on that Jesus, because so many people came to see him, he literally has to sit in a boat in the water, in the shallow water, because people were like, getting up on him too much. They simply just wanted to touch him to be healed. Jesus is attractive. People can't help when they see and are been affected by Jesus Christ, cannot help but be attractive. Jesus is attractive. Sometimes we believe that we have to make Jesus attractive. That we have to do something, that we have to change the message of Jesus to make him attractive. Jesus in and of himself is attractive. <laughs> if you've been changed by Jesus Christ, the message is attractive. Now what can we take home from today? One, Jesus, exousia, over the demonic. Jesus had authority over the demonic. It didn't even phase him. Be silent, shut up, get out of here. Crazy. Not you, Sophia. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Two. This is very, very important. Churches have, now have the authority over the demonic by Christ's work on the cross. You and I have been given the authority that Jesus had to pronounce and declare the demonic to get out of here. <laughs> Shut up. Leave. When Jesus died on the cross and then was raised to life, that's what he accomplished for us. Authority and power over the demonic forces of this earth. So if you meet somebody and you feel like they're experiencing a demonic oppression, get believers together, pray for them, command those spirits out of here. Because we now have that authority. We will be only effective in our culture that I believe is being influenced by the demonic when we understand the authority that we've been given by Jesus Christ over these oppressive powers. And this is a battle that rages every single day. You can't go a day and think, oh, like, I'm just like, I'm not going to be affected today. Whatever comes on your television that is anti-rebellion against God, demonic, ordinary demonic work. Anything. And when you start thinking about it in that way, it's like, I've got to be careful what I'm watching, what I'm taking in, what I'm listening to, because this is Satan trying to get a foothold in my life. Remember, we can be influenced because Jesus was influenced. And if we want to see the power of that, we have to declare Jesus' work on the cross, conquering sin and death over our lives and have other believers welcomed into our life to help us see this. Number three, uh, what's Mark doing here? He's simply trying to show us that Jesus is one of those prophets like before. One of those people that could come and could do miraculous works and wonders. Um, next one of what I uh, kind of already alluded to, but Jesus is attractive. As I said, we do far too much work, I believe, in the Western church to try to make Jesus more attractive. Oh, if I leave out this fact about him, if I leave out this about him, let's create a Jesus that to our culture says, he's got no issues with anything. Don't fool yourselves. Jesus was crucified on the cross because he had a lot of issues with the way culture was. And what he spoke and what he taught was offensive. When we leave this place today and we are engaging in conversation, yes, we certainly have an offensive message, but if it's not offensive, it's in no way attractive. Because why do I need to change if, it, if he just accepts my lifestyle no matter the way it is? Jesus is attractive. Um, I'll never forget when the very first time some of you know I met Daryl, he said to me, you're not going to try to convince me to believe in God, are you? And I said, no, I'm just going to point you to Jesus Christ. That's all our role and our jobs is. It's to point to Jesus, to get his fame spread, as the people were doing when this leper was healed, when he cleansed the demons. They're like, you've got to come see Jesus. This is all we do. I've got to experience Jesus. You've got to come see him. And then the last take home is this. 
is that the kingdom of God is at hand, which is the sign of the age. Um, in those days, the children of Israel were prone to want to know the fulfillment of the prophecies. In Malachi 3.1, it says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Uh, as we've been studying in Mark, this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist has come. He said he's coming to prepare the way of Jesus. Jesus is now here. Uh, Malachi 4, 5 said, See, I will send the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord that comes. And Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed. This was said many years before Jesus, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to release the oppressed, as was the demonic and epidemic in Jesus' day. As I said, I believe it is an epidemic in our day as well. Think about the amount of people that are being tormented in their minds, and I'm not saying every single case of uh, illness of the mind is related to the demonic, but I certainly believe much of it in our culture is. Satan is taking over people's minds, tormenting them not to trust in the name of Jesus Christ and to trust in the ways and the things of this world. We've turned to, we laugh and joke about the, ah, to get the demonic to come out or to drill into people's minds, but think what we have created in our culture to try to deal with the pain that people are going through in their minds. I'm not saying medication is wrong. Sometimes it can be extremely helpful to give us a little boost forward. But certainly there is a level, I believe, in our culture where we have over-medicated and we're not dealing with the root issues of the problem. The sin, the struggle, the pain that is going on in our world. The oppressive nature of Satan. Think about how, in this sense, Satan is after our kids to convince them of believing certain things, even. Of what he's trying to convince them of, to believe lies about themselves. Think about what media presents as beautiful for what a beautiful woman is, what a beautiful man is, and then that how that sucks and works in our minds of us thinking that we are no longer beautiful or valuable to the face of our world. Think about all of these things. These are all ways that Satan is trying to get us to rebel against God and to trust him in his ways and commands. Now what I want to do this morning is I simply want us to pray for one another. Because as Jesus says later on in Mark, the only way that you can deal with this is through prayer. So I want to ask, if you in any way today are feeling like, oh my goodness, I have felt this oppression. I have felt this influence. I have felt like Satan is after me right now, and I don't know what to do about it. If you want to stand, you're welcome to stand. If you want to stay seated, stay seated. But what I want to do as the people of God is to pray for one another. And for us to gather around people and say, because we can, as the church, who has the authority given to us over the demonic, to say, Jesus, come, we thank you for your blood that was shed, that gives us victory. Come, Jesus. Um, I have gone into a couple of different homes before and gone in and gone and prayed through each room in a home, praying that if there are any demonic spirits left in that room, that they would be banished by the blood of Jesus, that Jesus... Uh, would send himself and his angels to fight for that room. And it's amazing, because the last one that I was part of in doing, these people felt constant fear in this home. There was a lot of drug activity and movement that happened in this place prior to them moving in. And they said, after we did that prayer that day, everything was fine. 
they were scared to go into one of the closets in that house because of that. And so I believe that we need to be doing this in our homes as well. Pray. And it's amazing how logical. As soon as you declare this place is Jesus's, things leave. Children actually are very prone to seeing these things. And I'm not trying to scare any of us here, but simply awaken us that this is true. I heard one story of a child seeing uh, a demon sitting in a room. The parents could not see it. Only the child could see this demon. And they went over to their mom and said, there's a hooded creature in the corner. And so the mom and dad prayed with this child that this demon would leave. The child never saw the demon in the room again. But the the child did a few days later see it out on the lawn. And so what the parents prayed is, may this demon leave. May it not be around our property. Nowhere touching this place. And the child after that never saw it again. So there's some logic to this. If you declare Jesus' authority over, God. But we need to be constantly also preparing for the Spirit's protection and Jesus' authority over the influences. So maybe what we can do right now um, is if you feel comfortable standing and just saying, I need prayer in this area, please do that. I'm going to say right now. If you're feeling that, you're just like, I need prayer because this is going on. And I can't let this go on anymore. You can stand. If you don't feel comfortable standing, let's just get into groups. And maybe you'll feel more comfortable in the group. But this is serious stuff. And this is going on. And this is the good news of Jesus. This is the good news of Jesus. Not only are we released from death forever, eternally in hell, but we also have freedom in this life now. And and a way out of the power of sin in our lives now. So let's get in a small group. Let's pray for one another. And if you feel comfortable in that group, just say, I'm feeling some oppressive natures here. Pray for me.